0: Beautiful in every single way. Hold oh, on, they think you're
1: handicapped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, because of the cave. You should see the bathroom they gave me. How, how can you do this? Uh, Jerry, let's face it, I've always been handicapped. I'm just now getting the recognition for it. Stupid-ass
0: students, true, I got in our to English English racks, And our desire be to care about by giving them the cold, hard truth about their medical blue prognosis, blue or indeed a prognosis on the expected of their life, we have to make sure that we don't put the first brick in a wall that will actually disable somebody. They told me I would never make it. I would never achieve it. Reality is nourishing. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Chillin' and Vicious, the podcast that points out shit you didn't know was relevant. I'm O. I'm No. And together, together we, we make, make Oh No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh so no i want to ask you a question all right how does it make you feel when you think about your weaknesses um
1: well just the word weakness in itself just sounds kind of defeating right (laughs)
0: yeah um it's kind of uncomfortable i guess
1: yeah i guess it is well because you start to think about like all these things that you're not so great at right but like we all have things we're not so great at, so you don't necessarily have to look at them that way.
0: Yeah, you don't wanna be like this downer about it.
1: Yeah, you don't wanna like be like, oh, I suck, I'm so terrible. Um
0: Well what if what if society defined you by your weakness?
1: Well don't doesn't it define people by your weaknesses like I mean that's why people are always like putting on a brave face and walking around and wear, why people wear makeup and heels or, or just you know don't cry or whatever like certain things are perceived as as like a, vulnerability oftentimes is perceived as weakness, and so people really hide that um so I think they do, but I think that people would be freer if they just said Fuck it."
0: You mean like if they show their weaknesses more openly? Like, oh, that's the person that cries all the time.
1: Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, like it, if you get comfortable, like if that's something that you become like comfortable with later in life, right? And like makes you feel good. Like, you're like oh, I kind of like, like, actually, that is the thing for me. Like, I used to never cry. And now, and then I would just only cry when I would like, get so frustrated and angry and I'd like blow up. And like now, I'm actually like, I realized that sometimes I just need to do it just to get it out. And I feel so much better. Like, it's not like even a sad thing. And like, my mom freaks out because she's like, you used to not cry. What's going on? I'm like, "No, no, (laughs) I I feel really good about this. Like, this is a good thing. She's like,
0: you know, cry baby in the family now.
1: No, I'm still don't cry. No, I still it's not like this happens like constantly. It's just like, you know, maybe once a month I need to get it out or something.
0: No, I think that's really healthy, but I guess,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like she's still like, you know, it's still perceived as a weakness. And I always thought of it as a weakness, but then now I actually feel so much more comfortable because I'm like, Oh, that's just the thing that I can do now.
0: Well, yeah, it, well, it becomes, I mean, yeah, it's something else that makes you more whole. But I guess when I was asking about like being defined by your weakness, I think, uh, like for they- people who are labeled as someone with a disability. Okay. For example, uh, It it becomes a lot more your identity, like, you know, what your gender is, what your race is, like, to that level of, like, I'm someone with a disability. And uh, what got me thinking about this is our life innovator today. Uh, His name is Justin Friedman. Say hey,
2: hi there. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here, Justin. Yeah, and uh, he is someone who um, was labeled to have ADHD at a young age and has been able to overcome it more in his adult life and rethinking what it means to have a disability and you know, thinking about it, I guess, more as a weakness situationally or not even, it could be a strength in other cases. But we've labeled in our society certain things as a disability is, is that right
2: yeah totally and uh I think from when I was diagnosed at the age of five and trying to understand what does it mean to have a disorder or attention disorder and now you know over 20 years later you're kind of you evolve in the way that you think you know hopefully
0: five um, years yeah. old is really young to yeah.
1: be like.
2: yeah but it's, it's commonplace actually yeah <laughs> did
1: they put you on Ritalin?
2: Yeah, I started taking Ritalin when I was six years old. Oh
1: my gosh, you were just like such a ball of energy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I like to move around the classroom uh, pretty much all day, every minute.
1: What was like one of the okay? Like I don't like what was like one of the funniest things that you've done, like when you were a kid, like (laughs) that you were like, like swinging off the curtains or something like that. Like,
2: Uh, I guess you might call this uh, impulsive, maybe, (laughs) uh, which is one of the things associated with ADHD. But um. I, when I was maybe four or five, I I grabbed my mom's keys off of her uh, out of her purse, and I went <laughs> and decided to drive the car. Oh my
1: God, Latarian! <gasps> Latarian! <laughs> oh my God, sorry. Go ahead.
2: Anyway, so I uh, I got about. I got down the driveway. I put it in reverse. I knew how to do that at the age of four, and uh, I knocked. I knocked over the mailbox. Oh my <laughs> god, uh, I dude! It.
0: High I fly. did. I did the same ADHD. thing. <laughs> <laughs> both of you. Both of you. ADHD. Yeah. Well, so, actually, that's part of this. I was really excited about this episode because I I was diagnosed with ADHD in high school, but n- I never really consistently had it treated or had it really be I mean it had a big part in my life in that like my daily in terms of like impulsivity and just how I interacted. But I it didn't I I didn't have that label necessarily like define my life in a way that I feel like that's happened with you, Justin. Luckily. Um, but, you- but I did drive I did uh actually I didn't grab my mom's keys, but my mom went inside and was with my sister and we were sitting in the car and the keys were in the ignition. <laughs> and I was like, uh, maybe I'll just get in the driver's seat. My Why sister not? was in the car, too. And totally, like, I think I meant to go in reverse, and I moved forward instead and then totally just, like, hit all the trash cans in front of us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, guys are, you guys have seen Letarian, right? He's, no. like, that kid who, like, who hijacked his grandma's car. He goes, I want to do it because it's fun. It's fun to do bad things. To drive into a car. But well, did you know that you could
0: perhaps kill somebody?
1: Yes, but I wanted to do her stuff for my friend. It's, like, the funniest, I mean, it sad because like you know it happened but like not kidding he went and picked up his friend and like took his grandma's car and drive right? the See, yeah i didn't wow. i
0: didn't have the functionality to do i totally mentioned that <laughs> i think like i envisioned it and maybe with the reason why i i mean i definitely did stuff that was distracting but maybe um as a girl you're expected a lot of times to just be quiet and i had this guess was able to enough sit still or like if i was doing stuff i was like quiet about it i remember one time um, my uncle had to watch me and my sister and we were just like running around being kids and he had this comment where he was like i expected it from the boys but i didn't think these girls would could be so loud and like climbing on things and like (laughs) you're immediately shamed like as a girl for any sort of like hyperactive Activity, you know, you don't get rewarded for that anyway. There's not the boys will be boys,
1: but there's there's definitely like a skew towards like people like towards diagnoses with young boys, right? Like that ADHD is usually is like associated with boys and not women, even though that that's not the case, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, historically, so when ADHD first came around as hyperkinesis disorder was 50 years ago. Uh, it was only boys, only school-age boys who were getting diagnosed. Um, so, it's only been probably in the last two decades or so that more and more girls and, and women are getting diagnosed with ADHD.
1: What, what might be some contributing factors for that?
2: Well, I think part of it is just awareness. I mean, if you look at most disorders, even autism spectrum disorder was only being diagnosed to white middle-class boys 50 years ago. Right, but that's changed. Yeah,
1: because right, so they had doctors. <laughs>
2: right, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's socioeconomic factors, there's awareness, you know, um, and there's just sort of like, when a disorder starts, sometimes it's sort of stereotyped to a certain type of person. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, and then we sort of know that these kind of exist sort of proportionately amongst many different groups of people. So it's awareness, it's a lot of things. Um, and now more and more women are being diagnosed with ADHD.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, how, like, getting diagnosed at such a young age, like, so how did that affect, you know, the five year old life of a boy for you?
2: Yeah, so I mean for me, uh, and this is the case for a lot of people, um, I was diagnosed with ADHD but also labeled learning disabled. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is like two labels that often go together, especially Mm -hmm. for, for young children. So then I'm in school and I'm like, okay, attention disorder is one thing. I know I like to move around a lot, people explain that to me. But then learning disabled? So what does it mean? Does that mean I can't learn? I can't learn well? I can't learn like other people? So I'd say that label probably the most, uh, especially in schools, as like someone struggling to read, yeah. makes you think, okay, well, what's it going to mean in my life if I'm a learning disabled person? That sounds kind of permanent. Yeah, right? yeah. Like How am I going to be successful if I'm learning disabled and you're not? So what does that mean?
1: And then it sounds like it's kind of defeating too. It's like, oh, you're not going to be good at this thing. Instead of like, there's another, you just learn another way.
0: Or that you can work at yeah. become a learning. Right, or, right, yeah. yeah. The idea
2: of learning disability is something that you have inside of you that's permanent. Like, is, it can be very self-defeating and it can lead to a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies and can lead to sort of low expectations from people you encounter. Like, okay, well, this person has LD, they're learning disabled, so we shouldn't expect that much, you know, from them. So it can lead to those sort of things.
1: But you're a PhD student studying ADHD. So obviously you're not that, (laughs) you know, you're not that learning disabled, right? So how did you like, how did you come to, how did you go down this path?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, so I struggled, um, a lot throughout schooling, uh, K through 12, uh, even in college, really struggled, could never keep up with reading, could never, Finish papers on time. Always late with everything. Um, and for me, um, you know, the way I kind of like dealt with it growing up was this idea of like, let me just try and find something I'm good at. Let me find something. Where I can show people that I have skills, so I became like class president when I was in high school, and um, and then in college I started. Uh, my friend and I we all, we always challenge each other about who could give back the most like uh, to the community. So we started this nonprofit organization.
1: That's awesome! <laughs> then, like,
2: the idea of just like mobilizing anybody in our hometown to like take one hour of your week to do community service, but like. I was really like coping with all this stuff. It was like, Mm. if I can't be good at school, then I need something in my life that I can point to that will make me feel validated, that make me feel like, hey, I've got skills. And for me, that was, you know, being a leader, organizing, you know, events, uh, volunteering, and so forth. Uh, So that was like one of my ways of coping, you know, with it throughout.
0: from the most situations, medication my own it wasn't really
2: until, in terms of getting the PhD, uh, it wasn't really until I started encountering different ways of thinking about ADHD that I really started to take off. Um, so uh, I started around the end of college after I really was struggling, encountered some literature about like, the idea that disability could be something that's like socially constructed we say in other words like we could say that like gender and race are socially constructed yeah. right yeah. but we often don't say that disability is socially constructed because it's seen as something that's only right. inside of you so the idea that disability is actually something that like depends on context and disability is something that comes a lot from the barriers you face not what's inside of you it comes from attitudes it comes from physical barriers that like started to change my whole way of thinking like Maybe I'm not broken inside. Maybe that this is a world that I'm not matching with all the time. And that's creating the disability, not something inside my brain. So, this is a very different way of thinking.
0: That's really fascinating. Yeah. I think, kind of in the same way that I, when we previously didn't think of, and I think a lot of people still don't even recognize gender and race being socially constructed, it is because we see it as something inherent, you know, like something biological. And I could see even with disabilities, I think usually when people think of disability, they think of like a wheelchair, think of something physical. And I can see that being like in that same way, why race and gender have barriers to being seen as socially constructed. We see it as something inherent. We don't yeah. see it as society right. imposing what we think well, race and gender and yeah. disabilities are.
1: Well, there was that like really, it came out a few years ago. There was an article called uh, The Westernization of Mental Illness. You read it. It basically talks about how um, mental illnesses like had like they were very regional specific, right? Like that they would manifest differently depending on the culture that they were in. But when when Western medicine really tried to push to define all of these mental disorders, it actually changed how they manifested it all over the world. So, like for example, one thing is like a very specific form of anorexia in Japan. And I think it it wasn't based on body image. It was more like kind of depressive and like people just don't really want to eat. But what we know anorexia is like uh in the United States, or at least I know it in the United States, usually is ten like is some sort of like body dysmorphia where you are kind of self hating and whatever. And actually like after in the last twenty years, this very specific type of anorexia in Japan has basically disappeared in all anorexia now. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. that are all new cases of anorexia are based on body image instead of this like and so there's like an argument that like the more you try to define these things and, and understand them that it actually affects how people take that on I was told I was beautiful but what does that mean to you look into the inside
0: yeah so when you were so you learned that that disabilities were, or you started to think about the idea of a disability being socially constructed and it started to make you rethink what, how it ADHD affected you?
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, that happened around a very like difficult time in my life. So um, I mentioned I really struggled in college. I was a history major and I'm just never going to read as quickly as other people. And um, I started to get really frustrating. I was also studying education and one semester I just, I fell so far behind I couldn't catch up um, and I failed all my classes and at that same time I was taking Adderall. You may know that's a stimulant medication, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I got addicted to Adderall. It's a pretty powerful, powerful drug. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah, I was actually just calling to see if you could prescribe to me a higher dosage on my medication. Wait, what do you mean it can't go any
0: higher?
2: Uh,
1: so it's
0: like amphetamines and speed. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah.
2: People say it's a thousand cups of coffee. So uh, you know, my life was really just a mess at that point. Um, and I was like, I had this feeling because I was had this label, learning disability, ADHD, of like. Okay, so you know, finally, it's caught up to me. Like, finally, people are really going to see that I don't belong in college. You know, that this is not for me because what they said in kindergarten was right. You know, like that I never was really meant for this kind of thing. Uh, that I'm just not someone who's capable in this way. So that's really uh, how I felt about it. Um, and you know, being addicted to Adderall was made it especially difficult. And I was basically ready to drop out of college and just be done with it. Um, you know, fortunately, I had some some professors and some mentors who kind of said that you have to learn to kind of appreciate yourself and to, uh, to stick with it. Um, so I, I, I hung in there a little bit longer uh, and wound up graduating um, and started to like, put away some of like, the community service stuff and be like, I have to take care of myself first, right? Mm-hmm. I have to work on my own skills. How am I going to learn how to read better? How am I going to learn how to uh, you know, develop the study skills? So uh, I started to to do better, but then really um, I decided I wanted to sort of turn this experience of pain and difficulty of the label and the medication, all that stuff, into something that was uh, I could like give back to people. So I decided to become a special education teacher, uh, and I went for my master's in special education and actually wound up teaching students labeled LD, learning disabled, and students labeled with having ADHD in high school.
0: Which means you actually have to be in a separate classroom, right? A lot of times, don't
2: have to be. Uh, no,
0: but like, but in. that's usually what happens, right?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, the law in the United States is that students with disabilities should be in what's called the least restrictive environment, which basically means that if it's possible, you should be with non-disabled students to the maximum extent possible. Like, that's what the law says. But it's very commonplace, as you probably know, that in say a high school, a student with a learning disability or ADHD. May receive a separate class, you know, part of the day, the whole day, so forth. Um, So uh, that can be something that has very negative effects sometimes on students. And for me personally, uh, as someone that was removed from the the gen ed classroom for half the day, 40% of the day, that was really stigmatizing. Uh, It was like I was always leaving to get support. Uh, Mm -hmm. And everyone was always asking me, Justin, where are you going? Why are you leaving the classroom? And it was really kind of a negative uh, thing about my identity. Uh, And so I actually did teach in one of those classrooms, a separate classroom. Uh, And that was also frustrating for me because I could see in my students, they were like, why can't I be in the regular English class, right? And why do Mm -hmm, I have to be in this separate class of six students? Uh, and you know, and they're they're seventeen. Like they get it. Like no, <laughs> nobody's like not understanding like the messages going on here,
1: right?
0: How do you envision classrooms where they are more inclusive? And what are there adjustments that need to happen to these classrooms?
2: Yeah. So one of the reasons why I decided to study at Syracuse University is they have a they have a program that's just unabashedly committed to inclusive education. Inclusive education meaning a classroom that, does, that is designed to serve all learners, and acknowledging that there are going to be some really challenging learners and it's our job to teach all of them. Right? So, um, you know, like that means that developing the types of accommodations to your curriculum, to your teaching style, that are specifically like looking for difference. right? So for example, uh, so like one thing we'll talk about with future teachers is you want to universally design your classroom. So you want to try and and teach for the most diverse learners. So, like, how many different ways like can you engage students? You know, like are you just gonna stand up there and talk to them? You know, like are you gonna are you gonna put things in their hands? Are you gonna show them videos? Are you gonna have them talk to each other? Right? Or are they just gonna sit there and raise their hand, right? So trying to get them to, to use peer supports to work together, um, to engage with novel material, you know, yeah. with, with videos and, and so forth and so on. And then how are you gonna like assess your students? So How are they going to show you what they know? You know, is it just going to be sort of everyone has to show in this certain way or are there multiple ways that someone can demonstrate knowledge about history, for example, right? Can like, can they do a group project or do they need to just take the test, right? Or can they create something, right? Can they create a program? Can they uh, create a poster? Um, But the idea being like, how many different ways can we give students choice so they can create something rather than just assess them in one way?
1: Well it's like accommodating their strengths, right? Like so you're not focusing on the fact that like, oh, maybe I'm not a great test taker, but like I can, you know, convey this visually a lot better, like letting that like you get to lead then with creation and and your strength.
2: Yeah, totally. And like that's if, if we know that students are different and they have different strengths, which we know, we don't even need science to tell us that, right? We just know this. Mm-hmm. Then why wouldn't we wanna play to those strengths, right? But what we know is that schools historically and currently Have been bad at doing that. Yeah. Like, and we all have personal experiences of where school sucks. (laughs) And it sucks because schools are bad at dealing with diversity in many ways, (laughs) in diversity of learning.
0: And even the the, current system isn't even playing to the majority in a lot of ways. Because most, most classes are, I would say, they weren't auditory, right? It's like a teacher just lecturing to the kids generally, which actually, like, according to uh, the study, they're saying that literally, like that's about 30% maybe that could be in that category. 65% of us are visual learners. And yeah, there's the the chalkboard or whatever it's it, but that usually supplements it. It's a lot more auditory, which I know that's really hard for me to just consume yeah. a lecture. Um and I, I just think it's fascinating that like even that's not really seen as a general, it's just like this one thing that they've decided is probably the easiest way to teach somebody. And maybe because before we didn't have technology, everything was very, uh, you know, be able to oral histories and be able to tell people orally. But like, that's not even necessarily the best way for a lot of people to learn.
2: Right, totally. And even like not just visually, but like touching stuff. When I was a high school teacher, I would literally like cut up the different directions of our activities and I would put them in people's hands in the different rooms. So, like, we would go around and every time it was time to do something, like, someone else had the direction in their hand. So, if you know that you're someone with ADHD and you're going to have trouble just hearing the direction and now it's in your hand and you're the one reading it aloud, like, maybe that's a lot more likely that you're going to be able to follow it than if you're just listening to it, right?
0: Right. Yeah. I would think most people learn from doing too i mean i don't yeah. know the studies on that but that just seems intuitively that <laughs> that that we would learn better from actually yeah doing yeah, from, it than for, just
2: from doing from moving around you know we talk about kinesthetic learning like the idea of of, of uh, learning through moving and through doing and um you know like i think there's increasingly psychology research that's coming out that supports this idea but it's just not something that we're used to doing in schools right so um the, the things that we talk about that benefit students with disabilities, you know, inclusive strategies are really things that benefit all students and all learners. We are
1: all in this together,
0: and maybe we'll see that one day.
1: So, like, what are some things that, like, you have found, like, a workaround with your, like, the way you you deal with things like I I have like the yeah, I have like a hard time like paying attention for like more than 30 minutes. So like I for me, I have to like work on one thing and then plan that that after those 30 minutes, I'm going to be distracted and like do something else. Essentially, like that I will not be able to keep writing for a past 30 minutes that I have to go like that's how I work around you know, around that stuff? Like, what are, what, what are some things that you do, maybe?
2: Yeah, so for example, with, like, reading. Like, so at some point, I just have to admit to myself, like, I'm never going to be someone that's going to be able to really read and remember details. And, and, like, taking notes on really detailed things, I just, I'm never going to be able to do it. So now, instead of, like, for years, I was like, I need to learn a method to get all the details. And then I just stopped. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to read something and try and get two big ideas. And if I get two big ideas out of this article then I've gotten some information and some knowledge, right? Ah. And like, so I read through with a different lens now. I read with the idea of like, let me try and get a couple big ideas and not just focus so much on remembering all the details because that's not really my
1: strength. Well, that's funny though, that you studied history before because it's all about details and like dates and stuff like that. Like it kind of seems... Yeah, right. Like and, that was, was
2: <laughs> and that was so frustrating. But I think by the end of studying history, I learned that, that it was about learning how to think and learning how to sort of think about big ideas and patterns. And, um, you know, like people with, um, like as much as we talk about sort of negatives associated with ADHD and learning disabilities, like dyslexia, there's increasing research that's coming out, especially with something like dyslexia, that this is a different type of brain. And you could say the same thing about ADHD. And these people actually have some abilities that are unusually good, Right, mm-hmm. like the ability to uh, to connect ideas, right to to build things, to uh, to see patterns where other people don't see patterns, and you know people talk about overrepresentation of CEOs or innovators mm-hmm. or entrepreneurs with ADHD or learning disabilities, and you know there might be some science behind that, right, around the idea that, that there's that there's a part of these people's brain, you could say, or an ability that uh, is there in a really unique way.
0: I thought the conversation was really interesting about just thinking of disabilities as something that's a weakness in that we all have weaknesses. You know, you don't necessarily need to be labeled a disabil- like to have a disability to feel like you have something that's going to stop you from succeeding. You know, that you're not good at whether it is like being able to memorize certain things or that you're not smart enough or you're not attractive enough or you're not like whatever enough that that's going to be this thing that's going to stop you from Being able to succeed in life and you come up with, you have to, you know, you have to work on your self-esteem. You have to also just come up with techniques to work around it. Um, And that's, that's part of the human experience.
2: There's an educator by the name of Chris Cleaver who talks about differences that matter. Right. And so like we all have differences, right? We could use that term. Uh, but some of them mean different things, right, in different contexts. And some of our differences will mean disability, right? And they, they take on that meaning of disability uh, in particular situations. And in schools, you know, uh, certain things, behavioral learning uh, characteristics, are differences that matter in certain ways. Uh, but they don't have to matter that way, right? If the
0: system was different. Yeah. Like if the school was designed, like you said, to be more inclusive, um, in the meantime, with schools, the way they are, because, <laughs> you know, people have been trying to fix their education system in many ways. Um, how do you feel about uh, still seeing like, dis- the disabilities movement to make it, you know, more aware of people's different learning styles and like accommodations of them? And then uh, like even the Americans Disabilities Act, which, you know, it's, it's supposed to like not penalize people for having these differences. Uh, I guess, how do you feel about that in terms of, like, trying to be inclusive with it, but also still acknowledging that maybe people with disabilities need extra support, or...
2: Right, so the the key word I think you said is support. I mean, like, the reality of it is that with things like the American Disabilities Act and then the education sort of version of disability legislation, um, like, you need a label and a diagnosis to get services, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. that's that's okay in many ways, right? Um, Like, me getting a label of ADHD got me some services and supports, and, like, in many ways, that's a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, uh, like if we're focused on support, uh, and we we can still change our way of thinking about disability. Like if we're thinking about difference as an expected thing, as difference being normal, mm-hmm. then uh, we can think about the idea that we want to provide support to diversity, and we want so it doesn't have to necessarily take on that stigmatizing thing. So we can still have the legislation and the policies where you have to get a label. But I think that we can still change attitudes. And I think a lot of that is very ingrained in our, in our school system um, with the ways that uh, teachers are thought to think about disability, for example. And that's something that I'm very involved in as someone that teaches future teachers how to think about disability, um, how parents think about and talk about disability, principals think about and talk about disability. So there's a lot that can be changed. Um, you know, I teach my students that language matters and also that language isn't everything. So language matters in the sense that if we change the way we talk, instead of calling you um, the ADHD kid, yeah. uh, and we say that, oh, that's uh, Justin, oh, and he has ADHD, right? but that's just one part of him because he also has a lot of other strengths, right? Yeah. Uh, versus like that really can change how we talk about people. But also that doesn't like necessarily like solve everything, right? Because uh, if you just replace the way you talk about something, or replace a word like handicap with disability doesn't necessarily get rid of the stigmatizing or negative attitudes associated with it.
1: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, it's rude to call her fat. Let's just call her chunky. I'm not
0: fat. I'm big boned.
2: Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, that doesn't do it. It's, it's not enough to just change the word, right? It doesn't yeah. necessarily change the meaning.
0: We have to think about us all having differences or like they could be socioeconomic. People who come from different backgrounds will have different challenges in different situations. And I even think of, you know, just in the workplace, um, I was talking to Justin a little bit about I've actually made some special arrangements with my boss because of the way I work and to kind of accommodate, like, for instance, I, I have a delayed sleep phase disorder is actually the last part but I don't usually for me I'm just like I I just operate better um a few hours later on in the day I've tried very hard to do it earlier but like for whatever reason eight hours of sleep of one part of the day isn't as effective as sleep later on in the day and you know that's just one thing that I operate differently say everybody you know worked later on in the day no one would even notice it. that like if if our day started more at you know, 11 p, like 11 a.m, but like 11 a.m. Sometimes, be- <laughs> sometimes when we're working on <laughs> Honestly, this. Honestly, yeah, left my own devices, <laughs> I become nocturnal. But uh, yeah, it's a, so it's, it's a world that's fitting there. But uh, I don't, I don't know if that, I guess because it, it has disorder, I could potentially apply for that. But I think there's other things that, you know, maybe someone else has, like there's things for people with children, they get certain treatment, you know, and they can, they can get, uh, I know somebody who has to pick up their kid earlier on. And it's cool that I'm in a workplace that actually has been more comedy than I would expect. But we all have our different challenges. And to be able to be in a culture where it's okay to be like, hey, this, this is a struggle for you. I know you're doing your best. How can we adjust to make this better for you? Versus having the mindset of like you just gotta figure it out, you know? And we have this, like I think in our culture to be like pull yourself up from your bootstraps. So it's just like something yeah. that's like your own thing. Like you just gotta figure it out. Like you gotta just will yourself or like do it and like if you can't then you're just not trying as hard as the other person or um well
1: we've talked about this too how like effort is not the same thing as like as work, right? Like you can put like it doesn't make sense for you to put in ten times more effort to do this one thing, if you're not, if it's like not the way that you can do it, you know.
0: Yeah, and like, I guess, yeah, pointing to your strengths. If if the point is to have good product for, or the point is to have kids learn the best, like, why not create scenarios that uh, accommodate those things instead of seeing them as like, oh, this person needs extra help in this way. And right, and yeah,
2: and that's a big mindset shift. I mean, you know, teachers, uh, especially you know, teachers who maybe have been teaching for a few years, and you know, they have sort of a, a routine of doing things. When I talk to uh, the, the students I'm teaching who want to be teachers, like the idea that they feel that, so uh, I can't necessarily do things different for this student or that student because that's not fair.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, okay. So, like, <laughs> how about the way you're teaching from the beginning? Why? Why
1: is where that did you get fair? the idea
2: that that's fair? Right. <laughs> uh, now, if we know students are different and learn differently, and you do things one way, like you're already favoring some students, whether you admit it or not, whether you know it or not, uh, that your style of teaching is favoring certain people and at uh, disadvantage for others right so doing things differently for other students actually is a form of fairness right it is giving an equal opportunity um but that's a tough mindset to shift because we have we're it's so ingrained in us growing up in schools that you know like everything has to be done exactly the same way to everybody uh so it's, it it's challenging to shift that
1: well cuz schools were developed under like like the f- to like send people to the factories and like work and whatever it was about obedience it was never really about
0: Right, industrial like using, revolution. Yeah, theory, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: never really about using your brain to its best ability.
0: Yeah, which I think, yeah, there's the fundamental shift because, yeah, I can see how ADHD is a threat to obedience. That's not the strength <laughs> <though>, of <right? laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And actually, uh, one of my, you know, when I was a master student, um, you know, one of the professors said to me, and this is when I was starting to become critical about the idea of ADHD, said to me, "Well, you know." You guys should all design your classrooms uh you know just as if everybody had ADHD. And I raised my hand and I said, "Well then, how is ADHD a disorder if we're supposed to be designing classrooms for everybody like this? Like like, does it make sense then to think about this as like a as, as really a problem, as a negative thing, as a disorder, as a learning problem? If we know that maybe designing education like this is beneficial for everybody, maybe ADHD is pushing us to be better educators uh, versus then being sort of a nuisance or a challenge that it's often sort of posed as in the classroom.
0: Well, I think, like you say, like ADHD kids apparently tend to learn a little bit differently than others, but being hands-on with You're learning is actually more like real life today. Like, how often do you take a multiple choice test besides to do like you know compliance sort of questions in your real? You're never like you don't get a raise because you took a standardized test well. You get a raise because you know how to interact with you. You problem solve. You you contribute to a team. There's like those are not the metrics at all today in the real world of what you what you do well in
1: well also like th- there's an argument to be made that like all of these you know all of these startups and and just kind of like you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs today and the way that these businesses are run are really more like how do we accommodate people how do we retain talent how do we and that's literally making that accommodation saying like okay these per- people work well this way i'm going to accommodate that so it's actually like in our best interest, if we want people to keep up in, in the workforce to really just say, what are your strengths? It's like, even as an adult, like if you've been told your whole life that like, if you think your whole life that, you know, I can't focus, what's wrong with me, blah, blah, blah. Then you're like, oh, I just need to work around how I focus or I need to work around how I learn. And then like, it's like literally the most empowering thing to come to even in your 20s or whatever. Like it makes absolutely no sense that we don't talk about this.
2: Right, and and that's really like, and that can be, you know, a personal mindset shift. You know, how you how you talk through it yourself, like how how you um you know think about your relationship with that label, Mm -hmm. right? And like so for me, you know, like uh, a big part of it was not just the strategies I've developed, but just like like forgiving myself and being (laughs) like, actually, you don't have to be this thing. Like, you don't have to learn how to focus great. Like, you know, and and I understand that's a place of privilege. Like, I found a sort of career path that you know allows me the flexibility. I can get up and I can go do my research like, and then I can take a break and then I can go to the coffee shop. Right? So I have flexibility to do my work on my time. Uh, but like, like I think that people should be striving for finding uh, like a position, a career path that works for them and embracing that part of themselves instead of thinking, I have to like, fix this part of myself to fit that mold. Right? Um, and I think that that can sometimes the label can kind of, if you think about it as a deficit, uh, you can kind of get sucked into that thing of like, I need to fix this part of me
1: before I can be successful. Right? Yeah, it's very—it's a very damaging way to think of yourself.
0: Yeah, sure. um, I like what you were saying too about how ADHD can be a strength and how it brings different things to the table. Because, uh, you know, I—I am in the real world of of not the ivory tower, working in corporate America, <laughs> and. You know, like I said, I luckily have a situation where um, my boss has been very accommodating, but I, that wasn't given to me. You know, I, I actually had to make a case of what my strengths were and what I contributed to it. And it, it wasn't just like, hey, I have a disability. Like, can you just help me out? Um, and I actually had to overcome something, too, where people didn't believe that I had... I, I, and I didn't really call it a disability, but that I I actually work a little bit differently. It at first it yeah. was seen as like a sign of disrespect, you know, a sign of lack of obedience. A yeah. lack, and um, it was seen as something that I was doing intentionally on some level. And I had to very much make a case that it wasn't. And also my strengths to be able to, as I think we talked about, like being able to advocate for yourself, um, which I think, unfortunately, because the world isn't the way we're talking about yet, where everyone embraces differences part of the preparation i guess for people who don't fit or are able to squeeze themselves into this mainstream idea of how to interact with people and how to work and how to learn you do have to learn how to to advocate for yourself and be able to design the lifestyle that you're looking for
2: yeah for sure and i mean like you give the example of the workplace like and and Like the workplace and the company benefits from, from flexibility and open mindedness to thinking about ability and contribution just as much as the classroom and the school does. Right. And like, and, and, you know, you being able to advocate and talk about your strengths and show that you may perform differently, but you bring something to the table. And like, hopefully more and more, like someone who runs that company is going to be receptive to that and be like specialization. Yeah. Like (laughs) people are always going to be different. And how can I embrace that in my company and use it as a tool? Uh, instead of seeing it as an obstacle. So.
1: Now, I have a question. Just to, did you tell, because like I never would have told like my last company that, that I had AD, like ADHD. Would you, did you tell them?
0: Uh, I, for me, it was particularly being able to show up on time. So that was a delayed sleep phase disorder, but it actually was treated kind of similarly. Like apparently, you know, We were talking a little bit earlier about the problems of getting too specific with disorders and figuring out which one came later. Because, you know, if I don't wake up early, like I have trouble operating at a certain hour. I'm obviously Mm going to be hazy or I'm not going to be as focused. So there is. They compound. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They they don't help each other out. Um, But uh, actually, we didn't talk so much about ADHD specifically in that way but I was just pretty much like I'm seeing a psychiatrist I'm getting medication for this I take this very seriously I've tried many different um pathways to this uh you know I know it's a problem it's honestly I had to actually say to them uh it's actually something that does concern me in a disability I know it's the one thing that I fear will stop me from being successful I luckily had the self-esteem to be like I think I'm very intelligent I think I have great social skills and all these things but like at the end of the day, when it comes to implement- implementation and follow through and the actual work to do it, there's this intense struggle to, to meet all the deadlines and juggle all the things. And I I go through waves of it when I'm better at it than others and um, just pretty much, you know, being humble in the sense of being able to ask for their patience with me. And I think I was able to convey and I I don't know, maybe it was like just the impassionedness of of just kind of being like i'm really trying (laughs) you know like believe me this is like frustrating to me like you know this is not what i would like to have happen i'm not choosing this yeah
1: okay um yeah well that's cool that you were able to be open about that i think that's also another fear is like tell somebody that they're going to just be like that it's going to add to the stigma you know for sure
0: yeah um I guess for me, it was just to be open and just to be like, okay, this is actually the lengths I've gone for this. Like, if you don't trust that I'm taking this seriously, like, I I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. You know? I can never hate a man for being himself. I wish you nothing but the best from sickness and health, through the battles and the travels and everything else. I call it how I see it. Yeah, best believe I'll always say it because it's true. And it's actually in, in the US. Apparently 9%, this is probably even increases. this is from 2012, 9% of school-age children have been diagnosed with ADHD.
2: That's approximately 11% now. Now yeah. it's
0: 11%? Yeah. But this is not true across the world. Actually, <sighs> uh, I went to a conference on medical tech in Paris, and I remember just asking people about ADHD, and it's just, it's met with laughter. <laughs> 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 it's like you Americans and you're over-prescribing of whatever. right. Uh I guess going back to your whole idea of uh disability being socially constructed, do you have any theories on why we just love to label kids here <sighs> in the u s
2: well i 'll try and avoid some conspiracy theories or just blaming pharmaceutical companies, although there are plenty of people who who will support those explanations um yeah, I mean you know in in the u s uh you know we have there are some there are still some researchers who will say that. ADHD is still underdiagnosed, right? Yeah. Uh, like no matter how high the percentages goes, it seems like there's more girls people, that we can diagnose. Yeah, right. there's more people that we can diagnose. I saw an um, article
0: on elderly. Like, oh, really? Yeah, they were like, we're, we've we been misdiagnosing the Alzheimer's people, some of them, and they may have ADHD. So there's some more people that we can...
2: <laughs> so what I would encourage you to do is, uh, so one of the papers I'm working on um, with a, a PhD student from, from Finland is we're looking at the criteria for ADHD in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh, check it out. It's on page sixty. You can probably get it in any library. Um, uh, <laughs> cool. and <basically>, Casual reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but basically, if you look at what the criteria for the disorders are, I mean, it is so broad and so that you could, you could, it can encompass really anybody. Um,
0: Have you never had? problem paying attention
2: yeah right or Isn't... like o- like often like loses materials or something yeah. well, okay. uh you know but yeah
0: you've been <laughs> bored
2: <laughs> uh and some and what, what one of the interesting things we're writing about now is some of the the criteria actually relates to other people so for example uh, it could be symptomatic of adhd if you are wearing someone else out
1: Mm, right, so the idea of
2: like the effect that you have on someone else it's called
1: being a child
2: <laughs> so th- th- this is in there this is in there you can see it uh but the idea that like are you annoyed <laughs> yeah right i mean essentially do it becomes, your
1: parents have to tell you to shut up at l- more than once a day
2: <laughs> right right and you know like
0: uh it makes sense though because i think a disorder is when supposedly it's like when it starts being disruptive in your life right um, Right, so, or, or
2: or in someone else's, or someone life, else's life, life. <laughs> like your teacher or your uh, <laughs> or your parent. I mean, and that's that's not to belittle the you know the real difficulties of someone that, that would like to be able to focus on writing a paper for much longer than they can, or has a nine to five job where they have a deadline and it's hard to meet that deadline, right? Uh, but whether or not like, but the fact that that becomes a mental disorder of the brain. In so many ways, when you look at the criteria, has to do with parenting and schools in a way that if you took away schools, it would be very, very difficult to even have the criteria at all of this disorder. Huh. I mean, if, if it's all about school practices. I mean, eighty percent of the criteria is if you look at it.
1: Oh, because yeah, you're you're disruptive, non-obedient, you're calling
2: out in cl- You're calling out, you're, you know, you eg, know. in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that's so funny. And do you think people grow out of it? Like because, like, I remember my little brother. He was a terror, just like such a terror. And the time, like my mom had such a hard time with him. And the doctor tried to, to told my mom, like I think he, at the age of like three, she, they were like, you should put him on Ritalin. Like he was just like I've never seen a kid with more like with more energy. It was exhausting. And like my mom was like, no, he's just a child. Like I'm not going to do that. He's and like you
2: out, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And, but it was funny. Like he's now like he kind of like once he hit like eight or nine, he just grew out of it. Like, he just calmed the fuck down. <laughs> 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 so, so, so,
2: what the, you know, what the the predominant way of thinking on this in the scientific literature is that, uh, so that person, for example, like, he maybe his hyperactivity quote unquote will go away yeah. but that will not be man- manifest but you know he still may have difficulty you know with attention and focusing and impulsivity perhaps or something like that
1: um, don't we all <laughs> <laughs> not to discredit adhd but like if you you know treating oh, it like do. it's a problem <laughs> yeah 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 but it's just like yeah calling everyone out on everything yes kind of like it's like looking for a problem
2: Right and and that's what I mean that's what clinicians in the field of psychiatry are trained to do look for problems not strengths right um, actually there's a there's a this is one of the things we're critiquing right now this came out in the journal of learning disabilities a couple of years ago so one of the researchers said that we should be happy that in schools because early on in elementary school things are so structured you have to go sit on the carpet and you have to go in this group and that group and this reading thing and so forth yeah. so we should be happy that because things are so structured, it allows us to identify ADHD symptoms earlier. Oh, wow. Because if things are really structured, clearly people are going to stick out for being hyperactive or being impulsive or being inattentive. because the more structure you have, the more people will stick out. And for me, that's a very twisted way to think about it. Yeah. Right? I mean, the idea that like, it almost sort of legitimizes what we do in schools. Let's keep doing things the same way and then therefore we can label more people as having problems versus let's change how we do it to begin with and maybe preclude the need to place these labels on people and think about their differences as deficits.
1: Yeah. Well, it also like, I mean, it makes sense that like things like, especially in pre, like in the younger years, preschool and kindergarten are so structured because you have to like herd, it's like herding cats. It's like how you're going to lose a kid if you don't, right? <laughs> like, like they're not going to sit down. They're not going to do what you say. They're like, that's just the nature of children. Or oh, they're going to pee
2: somewhere. They're yeah, fine, like, like three weeks you just later. need to
1: know that, like, you just need to be able to count them all and be like, oh, okay, yeah, there's supposed to be five over there. There's five over there. And I'm like, hey, get that glue stick out of your mouth. Like, that's just what's going to happen. Ralph, are you eating your paste?
0: No, <laughs> <Love> it's over.
1: <laughs> they're silly.
0: <laughs> so, I guess, to the parents and teachers, though, who are a bit frustrated when they have uh, a kid that's just very hyperactive and... They're disrupting the other kids. Well,
1: so like we talk about the the disadvantage also partially being a like socioeconomic thing, right? Because if you can't afford to go to private school and you're in public school, then you're just basically you just need to pass the exit exam, right? And how do you accommodate for that? You know?
2: Yeah, and I'm someone you know who went to a public school, but I also I recognize that you know public schools are very different depending on where you go, right? Yeah, and totally. so. For for sure, you know, as much as we talk about inclusive strategies and, and changing the classroom, probably the places that have, have seen that the least, you know, are schools that have the highest percentage of students um, you know, who are living in poverty. Right. So we haven't necessarily uh done a good enough job yet of figuring out how to get to these inclusive strategies uh into these into these schools where the focus is so much on testing and the focus is so much on trying to reach proficiency for as many students as possible. Um you know, there's some new legislation that was just passed um that was sort of a revision of No Child Left Behind. Um well, Obama has to sign it before it will become law, but uh that is going to give some more autonomy uh to local districts and to states. So there's not going to be as much federal involvement and hopefully that's going to decrease some of the pressure on standardized testing, not completely, but maybe decrease. Um so yeah, it's uh you know, I I I can't say I have a great answer to that one because I think it's something we haven't really figured out how to do is, with the focus on, on testing and sort of one-size-fits-all curriculum, these inclusive strategies often become a thing that middle-class white students have the most access to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really need to improve on, how, uh, on getting these types of strategies into the schools that are not really seeing them and have the most focus on sort of a limited curriculum.
1: Are there any organizations specifically that you think are doing a good job of that we can plug?
2: (sighs) Hmm. I mean, I'll plug the Syracuse University School of Education. (laughs) uh, We do a lot of work uh, uh, in the School of Education with Syracuse uh, City School District um, and the surrounding area schools um, and have had success um, in many ways uh, with the area schools. Um, But, you know, sometimes things will be successful for a couple of years and then changes happen and, you know, um, city schools are often have the most sort of uh, unstable, oftentimes like because uh, teachers don't stick around, and yeah. so there are a lot of Principals so you know don't
0: stick around. Yeah, and,
2: so you know there are a lot of, as everyone knows, you know there's a lot of challenges, uh, particularly uh, in city schools. So, but there's been a lot of progress in the last two decades. More and more students are spending eighty percent or more of the day, students with disabilities, in the general ed classroom. It's been a huge increase over the past couple of decades.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. So they're figuring it out a little bit. It seems like there is more, I guess, flexibility than at least in the past with being a little bit more accommodating. Like I can't imagine even my workplace, like probably my parents' generation, that being acceptable at all <laughs> of being <laughs> like, Hey, I'm just, um, and wanting to have special treatment or even, um, uh, my, I have a friend who suffers from depression. Uh, he goes in periodic bouts of it. And, uh, he recently had a bout and it lasts for three weeks and um, he kind of shut down and he actually didn't even fully communicate with his boss originally but he's such an integral member um, member of the team and has contributed that his boss actually admitted, was like, I suffered de- from depression from periodics and actually uh, em- like, empathized with him and was like, hey, just I want you to focus on getting better. Like, don't worry about all the like, deadlines and stuff. We like, Like, we have a strong team. They'll figure it out. Like, our priorities right now for you to get better. Um, And you let us know when you can do that, and you will still have a job coming back here, which I was just like, that's crazy and awesome that, you know, that they would accommodate for that. You know, like, I mean, that's pretty cool that that happens today. You know, I just don't know if that would have happened, like in the baby boomer generation.
2: For sure, and that's why you know I feel so strongly about working in teacher education because the idea that I could you know help shape teachers' minds who would be accepting like that about people's differences you know in the classroom, for example. Um, you know, one of the things that makes uh, Syracuse University unique in terms of our education program is that we have we don't have like a special ed program and then a general ed program. We have an inclusive program. So, like, the idea is there's not your kids and my kids, like, special ed teacher does this, and general ed teacher does this. The idea is that people are going to get dual certified to be an elementary ed and special ed teacher. So, the idea is that, like, you're responsible from the day you come to Syracuse University, we're teaching you to be responsible for all learners, right? And not just for some kids. Um, And that's something that's, I would say, probably being done at maybe 5% of the programs around the country. Uh, But, you know... We come to get our PhD with the idea that we're going to go out and help to change that. And so, more and more programs are going to be teaching to help accommodate students and and to teach all students, not just prepare teachers to teach certain students and not others.
0: That's awesome. I love it so much. America's children is everybody's children. So, we got to said that it was uh, Bill Russell, actually. Bill Russell,
1: America's children are
0: he's a big proponent of public education.
1: I love it. It's so true. It's so true. Um, well, thank you, Justin, for shedding some light and talking with us about rethinking abilities. Sure. Thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah, abilities
0: and disabilities. So we'll have a post on our website that you're probably listening this on on our website, chillandambitious.com. And you'll uh, have Justin's links as well. That's just, you know, our our take on uh our on the interview, um yeah, I'm no, make some
2: really great links after this
0: yeah
1: <laughs> show notes and um articles like references, so yeah, hit that, and then we'll also you can follow us on the social medias at chill ambitious We're on facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Periscope, check the scopes they're so fun Snapchat everywhere whatever find us um yeah so
0: iTunes too, and you can rate us. give us stars. Yeah, five stars. (laughs) All the stars. She's
1: she's telling you how it is. Um, So (laughs) yeah, and like, please give us feedback if you like this episode, or you related to it, or um, you want more information. Just like, reach out to us. Let us know. We love hearing from you. So yeah, Uh, she's O, O and I'm No, (laughs) and thank you for being with us. Bye bye. Bye. I'm Ava, Ava, ready to place my cards on the table, table, there's some kings in my deck. Da-